Okay, hello and good morning from Toronto. Um, good, good evening. Good evening. <laughs> um, and welcome to the AS Natural, pa- uh, Natural Health Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Eisner, and today we have Lauren. Is it Lauren or Lorreen? Lauren. Lauren. Okay, yeah. we have Lauren Parker on the show. Lauren is 25 years old and resides in Perth, Western Australia. She's an economist and empowerment coach. Her coaching practice is called Shape Your Reality, specializing in helping people overcome ankylosing spondylitis, just as she overcame it. She was lucky enough to spend time of her childhood living by the beach on Western Australia's southwest coast. Sounds incredible. And during university, yeah, I bet. During university, she spent a semester in New York City. Amazing place. And yes, she has an AS diagnosis. Well, so much to talk to you today. Talk about today, um, and it sounds like you've had a really beautiful life so far. And I look forward to hearing more. So, yeah, um, it being winter in Australia right now, is it cold down there? I have to ask. It is freezing. Um, it's probably not cold compared to, you probably find it like it's summer. Um, we are heading into spring, so hopefully, fingers crossed, we start warming up soon. Okay, right. I always get a kick. I do have a blanket on my leg at the moment. Oh, do you? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, stay warm. Um, always funny to hear about Western uh, Australian folks talking about how cold their winter is. Yeah, this will be like warm for you. Nothing. <laughs> Um, so let's dive right into it. And, um, first of all, tell me about the Lauren before your symptoms began. What kind of a person were you? It's kind of hard almost to remember who I was beforehand because now when I look back on it, um, I have a lot more compassion for myself. So I guess like the biggest thing was I was just unaware of my life and who I was. I was living up in my head all the time, um, and never in reality, and I didn't even realize it at the time when I was living that life how much self I hate I had for myself. Um, and also, I was quite a high achiever. Again, looking back now, I can see that. But at the time, you know, nothing I ever did in my mind was good enough. And as soon as I made an achievement, I was already looking for the next one and how it could be better or downplay versus I achieved the thing. So, really, I think um, I was, you know, in the passenger seat of my life um, and just letting life happen to me and constantly thinking and thinking that and I'm just never feeling good enough hmm. yeah that sounds familiar um, yeah. perfectionist <laughs> perfectionist right yeah I've been reading about that in um, the great pain deception a little bit yeah um, tell me how old you were when your symptoms arrived I was about 19 years old um, when they first arrived it was actually really weird I was swimming um, in a friend's pool because I um, had a, like a few sore joints because I was quite active um, and I thought I should swim my ankle in water and none of the doctors believed me like they sent my parents out of the room and they're like okay you can tell us like were you drunk were you on drugs what were you really doing and I was like no I was swimming in the water um, and I thought like I must have twisted my ankle because my ankle just swelled up massively um, and they were like there's no way that happened it was the weirdest thing but yeah it started at 19. Okay. And um, how old were you when you were diagnosed? Uh, I think I was about 20 and a half. 20 and a half. Yeah. 
So there wasn't a big so there wasn't a big experience in um, in going and seeing lots of doctors or, or was there? There was, so um, I saw quite a few, um, and it was actually just before I moved to um, New York that it started flaring up. Um, so I moved to New York, and I know the price of doctors over there, so I was just not going to see anyone. Um, and, it, it, you know, it would go down, and it would come back up, and it would go down, and I just assumed, because I used to do, like, a lot of athletics and karate, that at some point I'd torn my ankle there, and that was, it was just a bit of wear and tear. Um, and it wasn't until I got back and probably like one or two days after I'd been back in Australia, my knee went up and it went up really big. I couldn't walk. Um, and that's when I was sent straight to a rheumatologist. Uh, at first I was diagnosed with, um, sinonegative, um, inflammatory arthritis. Um, and then a couple months later it progressed to my back as well as a lot of other places. And that's where I started getting the additional testing. So I think there wasn't, um, yeah, there wasn't, I've been pretty lucky in the sense that, you know, you hear a lot of stories about people that have taken years to get diagnosed where, um, I was diagnosed very fast and the AS diagnosis probably came, um, about three or four months after my initial diagnosis. But the bad side of that is it meant that I went downhill very fast. I went from being fine to almost um, being able to do nothing. I mean, from my jaw all the way down to my toes, I was inflamed. There were days I couldn't smile, couldn't eat, couldn't dress myself. So it all just went up really fast. Couldn't smile. No. Right. So my jaw, like, I had swelling in my jaw here, so it affects my mouth. Okay. Um, and then it was the weirdest thing for me because I'd go out and I'd uh, feel the need to explain to strangers why I was looking grumpy. Oh. I hated anyone thinking that I was grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Interesting. Yeah. I haven't heard of that before. I, I've read about it, but I haven't talked to anyone that experienced that. So it, everything got worse for you, would you say, after, really after you were diagnosed? Yeah, yeah. So before that, it was just my knee and my ankle going up. I mean, they were extreme cases. Like, I was consistently getting my knee drained. I was going to an um, emergency to get drained. Um, but after the diagnosis, it just went like that. Wow. Okay. It's interesting. Yeah. Do you have any theories as to why that is, or do you think it was just coincidence? Um, I think it's a total mindset thing. You know, once you know you've got something, you start doing more research about it, you start um, fearing it, you start wondering what it will mean for your life. Um, and then naturally, you know, you start the little pains that you had before that you didn't think anything of, you start thinking, is this more, is it not? Um, and then I think it just went wild. So I really do think, and I, you know, I noticed that in my own clients that there's a common trend, you know, they have a bit of pain, um, and then they start finding out what it is and all of a sudden it spreads like wildfire through their body. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, and, were you diagnosed with any other, I think you mentioned, it, well, you did, you mentioned there was other autoimmune diseases you were diagnosed with. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so I was also diagnosed with fibromyalgia. That diagnosis took about two to three years um, to be picked up. Um, I just thought it was part of the AS. So when I used to flare up, you know, people would hug me or, you know, pat me on the back to tell me it was okay, but it constantly felt like my back was on fire. When they would do that, you know, they're not even patting very hard, so I'd push them away, and they couldn't understand. They felt like I was, you know, literally pushing them out of my life, um, but really it was the pain was so bad. Some days it was so bad, like, I couldn't wear clothing because the clothing, just a normal T-shirt would feel too heavy or feel like it was on fire. Um, but that took so long to get diagnosed because I just never mentioned, to, mentioned it to doctors because I just assumed it was part of the whole thing. 
Um, I also had really bad um, gastritis. So I was constantly having um, swelling of my stomach. And obviously with all this stuff comes the usual chronic fatigue um, and brain fog as well. Right. Okay. Yeah. It sounds like it was very, really dense and and intense. Yeah, it definitely was. Uh Okay. So how long did that, how long did that last before you, let's go into your healing journey. Um, Yeah. How long did it last between diagnosis and when you met or you um, you found a solution? And what were those solutions? Um, I don't know if I can put an actual time on it. I think my healing journey started quite early on in the sense what I think I – what worked for me, what I found worked for me. I did pick up and try very early on. I was very lucky to have a mum that had given me a really good foundation of life and understand that, you know, I was powerful. Well, I kind of, you know, as a kid rolled my eyes at her when she would play me like the secret or tell me about the power of my thoughts and my mind and, you know, just push her aside. What really happened was I eventually went, you know what, I can't deal with this anymore. I'm better and I can't go out with my friends. Um, I've got nothing to do but look in here. Like there was nothing left. I literally couldn't exercise or anything like that. Um, so I think it started quite early on. However, it took me a long time to kind of fully get it all and put it together. Um, so one of the first things, I think I, it was maybe a year and a half to two years later, I picked up a book called The, sorry, the Celestial Prophecy by James Redfield. Um, and I read it, and it just kind of gave me this, like, internal peace. It made me realize that, you know, that maybe I was sick for a higher purpose or a reason, and um, I didn't have to achieve everything that I thought I wanted to achieve or had to in this life. And what I did was enable me to kind of, just calm down and take a deep breath and go, you know what? I'm just going to let it be. I'm going to sit in it and allow it. And that gave it a lot of power. I don't, I didn't understand how helpful that was um, until now when I have a lot more knowledge, but that was really the start. Um, then I started this Instagram account uh, at the time it was called kicking AS. Um, and basically I just wanted to connect with people that were going through the same experiences. Cause all my friends were healthy. <laughs> my family was all healthy, you know? Um, and you know, being in your early 20s, you know, it's easy for your friends to say, hey, it's going to be okay, it'll be fine. And I knew that they were coming from a place of love, but I almost wanted to hit them. I was like, you don't understand. <laughs> and, my God, if one more person told me to try, like, a cream on my toe or, like, diet. I mean, I tried the diets. I went, you know, I gave up sugar. I gave up all different kinds of meat, nuts. You know, I was doing, you know, so much. So I started this Instagram account to kind of start connecting with people. And this annoying guy from New York kept being like, hey, I want to talk to you. Hey, I want to talk to you. And I was like, go away. Leave me alone. Like, you're a creep. I don't want what you're buying. And in the end, I was like, you know what? Well, we'll shut him up as I'll jump online with him, have a chat with him. And then I can say, look, I tried it, whatever. Mm. So anyway, this beautiful human, Ralph Ruiz, that most people would know that um, have AS. And if they don't, they need to meet him and find him. Um we ended up Skyping about, for about three, three and a half hours. He sold me nothing. He just told me about his experience with um, the disease um, and what he was doing to overcome it. Um, at that time, he wasn't doing formal coaching. So I never entered a formal program with him. But over the next about year, I just kind of worked with him. We'd Skype every now and again. Um, and he'd just teach me little things and give me little snippets. Um, and slowly I got better. And um, 
I think one of the most powerful things we ever did was mirror work. He told me to look into a mirror um, and tell myself I loved myself. And I was like, yeah, man, I got this. Like, cool. And I turned to the mirror um, and I was like, I look. And the tears just started streaming down and I just couldn't say it. And I was like, you know, you've got to get this guy Skype, man. Like, this is, in, this is embarrassing. Like, because perfectionist was coming in, you know, like, there's nothing I can't do. So all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I've got to get him off. Just say it. It's easy to say it. Um, and I couldn't. And he kind of gave me a little cheeky grin and he was like, no, we'll try this again next week. Keep, you know, do some work this week and things like that. And um, slowly and surely I learned to love myself for who I was and to look at myself in the mirror without judgment. And I think that was really big for me. Um, and then one day I was at work, um, as you mentioned, I'm an economist, and I was discussing um, cat legislation with a colleague, of all things, cat legislation. Um, and I was getting in a really heated debate um, about it with him, and I was, you know, looking at it from this angle and that angle. And the first time in probably four years, I, I just took a step back and I was like, wow, I'm actually thinking and I'm seeing things outside the box because for so long that brain fog, my mind felt like it had a fence around it and it was trapped. And, you know, as the days would go on, it just felt like the fence went in and I lost my ability to, like, think and think um, outside the box. And all of a sudden I was like, whoa. And at that moment I was like, I have not had pain in a while. Um, and so that was the moment where I really noticed um, that I'd made a lot of progress. And then after that it was just learning to be consistent with the techniques that Ralph had taught me, um, continue reading. Um, and then eventually, you know, the pain stopped and then it just went kind of just into my knee, um, and it stayed there. And then I learned how to work around that. And now it's just completely gone. Wow. Okay. Sorry, there's a lot there. So do you have any questions? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, let's hear if you're willing to reveal more about specifically what exactly were the big things that you learned to overcome for you, how did yeah. you do it? Like if I was someone who, you know, never heard of this stuff, what, how did you do it? I think the first thing really was, um, and I mean, again, I was lucky because I had this sort of foundation already. So I already kind of knew all this stuff. Um, so what I would say that, you know, my clients is learning to ground yourself and being in the present moment is the first and most important thing. And that's what that book really taught me to do. So I, I latched onto it very quickly because I had the foundation for it. But it's just, you know, taking a deep breath and stopping living out in the future and or in the past and just going, okay, what is going on right now? And, you know, not caring about the future. And that was, you know, that's one of the biggest things. It's one of the biggest things we, I start work with clients on. Um, the other thing then was learning the power of my words. It's something, one of the first things Ralph said to me was that you need to change your Instagram name and you need to change your hashtags. And I was like, well, man, like I got a lot of followers and like this thing's taking off for me and I'm really, I'm really enjoying it. And he was like, yeah, exactly. Like you're making friends and connections based on this illness. So how do you think you're going to get rid of it? And I was like, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, my Instagram name has nothing to do with the illness. Too excited. I'm like, Ralph, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, I know the Instagram needs to change. Um, and so, like, you know, it's actually changing my words and kind of, you know, it's like talking about the disease as the disease rather than my disease and this thing that's impacting me. You know, it's kind of you push it away. And when you do that, you allow yourself to almost put it down. But when it's mine, it's here. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, it was just slowly changing my words and the way I viewed things. It's also really interesting because when you start on this journey, you are so focused on the AS or the autoimmune condition. Um, and as you progress a little bit further, you realize it's not about that at all. And I think that's one of the biggest steps is um, you realize that these changes you're making um, impact every area of your life. And as you start making changes in these other areas and those things get perfect or not even perfect because what is perfect, right? They just start getting better and you start enjoying them more generally for as they are rather than as you wish they would be or what they could be. And then the AS itself becomes less important to you and less important to your body and so it naturally starts to go down. Um, so they're probably the biggest things that I would start with. Um, and then it was really working on my self-love. So many of us um, hate ourselves um, and sometimes we don't realize it. So one of the biggest things I learned is, I mean, I was, you know, in my own head telling myself I was fat and I was ugly and this and that. And when I look in the mirror, you know, I always want to be skinnier and I'd always want to be, you know, better looking and things like that. Um, while that was really important and I slowly overcame that, the most important step for me was understanding my actions And so often, um, you know, even when I wasn't insulting myself um, in my head or through my words, my actions were when aligning with um, looking after myself. So, you know, quite often, you know, people would be speaking, especially in a meeting room at work, and I would just go, you know what, they're older than me, they've been here for longer than me, they know better than me. Um, What that was reinforcing is, you know, that I wasn't good enough. And I, you know, I wasn't saying those things in my head and I wasn't saying them out loud, but what I was reinforcing is those people are better than me. I'm not good enough. So it's learning, you know, to also align my actions with who I want to be with my thoughts and my words and start being that person, start valuing myself enough to speak up, to say things, to say no. What you find a lot with people with AS is they don't know how to say no and they don't feel like they can say no. Mm-hmm. So learning to say no, learning to ask what I want instead of expecting people to be minorities, saying to people, you know, this is how I, this is what I want from you, this is what I expect for you, and knowing that I had the right to um, actually voice my opinion and ask for people to come to my boundary. Now, people don't always need to come to my boundary. That's fine, and I accept that. But I also don't need to be around people that, you know, aren't treating me right, and I can tell them, hey, it's not cool. Yeah. Is that... Yeah, is that helpful? That's that's immensely helpful. Absolutely, yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Um, however, it's very clear, very clear steps. Um, and that I think that kind of segues into your your coaching practice. And um, yeah, love to hear more about it. However, first, if you could tell me what com because you were just kind of talking about it. What commonalities have you noticed working with people with AS? Personality-wise, yeah. do you see a pattern? Oh, all the time. You know, if they walk in and uh, they tell me what's going on, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to stop you right here. I'm going to tell you what kind of person you are. Um, and it was Ralph, again, that first brought um, this to my attention. And then as I started meeting more people they asked and coaching them, I started noticing the same thing. So it's perfectionism. You know, they always want to be perfect at everything. And that's fine. It's, it's a great thing to be um, a high achiever and want to continually do better. But it's about doing it in a productive way. So, you know, it's understanding that who I am today is perfect, but who I am tomorrow is probably going to be a little bit different, maybe a little bit better, and that's okay. So, you know, it's learning to have that that trait productively. It's also um, quite often they are higher achievers. Um, I've never met someone with AS that's, you know, not doing very well in life. However, they often can't see it. 
Um, generally, okay, they lack the. Sorry. What so, was yeah. that again? Of how people with the ha- are often doing really great, but they don't see it. What did What did you say there? Yeah, so that, yeah, that's exactly what I said. So, you know, they're often high achievers, but they don't see themselves as that. Oh, okay. So, you know, um, the, like, you know, I was doing pretty well. I've, I've done pretty well in life. I can say that now and I can look back on my life and it's not in an arrogant way. It's just reflecting on life and saying, hey, for my age and for what I wanted to get out of life, I'm doing quite well for me. Um, but before I couldn't say that, you know, it was always, well, if I've done this, it must be easy because I've done it. So what's next, what's next, what's next, rather than, you know, just how, because I think as humans, we're not really taught to be proud of ourselves ever. And it's really important sometimes to pat ourselves on the back. Again, you don't have to be arrogant. A lot of people think that if you show pride in who you are and what you do, you're being arrogant, but it's not that way. You can be arrogant, but generally it's just a bit of confidence or a bit of happiness. Um, so, you know, taking that step back and teaching people to be happy with themselves or happy with what they've achieved. Um, I often find as well, they don't have the ability to say no. They often find themselves giving, giving, giving. Um, and you know, they're great people. Everyone with AS generally has huge hearts and they really want to give to people, but it's also understanding that you've got to set your boundaries and you need to take care of you. Um, and people can tell you that all you want, but until you start putting it in practice, it doesn't work. So seeing yourself as someone, like as a friend and someone that you need to dedicate some time to. Um, also, they don't, they don't generally don't like um, confrontation, so they'll avoid it. Um, and often it's at the detriment of them as well because the way they avoid it often is not getting angry and yelling. It's either um, removing themselves from the situation or overgiving to try and make that other person like them. Um, so they're probably the main traits. Um, and generally where, so I work a lot in the metaphysics space as well. So where the illness is commonly presenting or the way they describe their illness also shows to me, um, a lot of signs of what's going on. So, you know, your lower back is generally a huge sign that you don't feel supported. So, you know, if someone's presenting to me generally with AS, it's because they've got a lot of back pain. So we work on, um, one, understanding how to feel supported and two, how to ask for support. Um, and then, you know, depending on where else it is, we work on those areas as well. Okay. Amazing. Um, tell me a bit about your practice. Um, your, um, yeah, if you could tell me, yeah, maybe just a little bit more. Yeah, sure. Um, so shape your reality kind of stemmed from the, uh, Instagram. So as I said, I originally started with an Instagram called kicking AS um, and then it moved to a couple of names. I think at one point it was just like Parker 29. Um, and then eventually I just like constantly told people like, you know, you've got the power to shape your own reality. You've got the power to shape your own reality. And at one point it clicked and I was like, I really like this name. Um, and no one had it. So it was like, awesome, cool. I'm going to like trademark it. Um, but basically what happened was I had just traveled, um, around Europe. It was probably about three or four months before my doctor had confirmed remission. Um, and I was quite nervous going over. I, um, I was still on the medication at the time, so I took my Humira with me. That's another really cool thing for people to know. I was always told that, you know, your Humira has to sit in the fridge. So your my doctors gave me the advice. Your what has Humira? to Mirror. Um, yeah, it's a biologic. I don't know if you guys call it something different. Oh. Over okay. there. Okay. All right. You were on, okay. You were on, it's one thing we didn't cover. I meant to ask. Okay. So you were on biologics. 
Oh, I tried like everything. Like I was on sulfazalazine, um, a lot of anti-inflammatories, methotrexate, so, um, Humira, Ambrol. Like I've tried so many things. Wow. Okay. Um, but the Humira was like really good for me. Um, so that's another thing, you know, I think, so medication obviously is every individual's choice. Um, and it's something they need to discuss with their doctor. But one thing I find a lot with AS patients is they have this aversion to medication. I'm guilty of that. You know, I, as soon as I went on medication, I was like, I do not want to be on this. This is not for me. And constantly in my mind, it was a short-term thing. You know, I'm going to come off it in three months. I'm going to come off it in this time. Um, and what I really found is that, you know, I kept, as I said, I've been on a load of medication. I kept failing the medication. So it's really that whole mindset thing. And it's something I work with my clients and I see it work all the time is changing the way you see the medication. So, you know, it's accepting that, you know, you may need to be on medication. It doesn't necessarily have to be forever. That's something that you work out with your doctor. But for now, if you're going to be on it, let's make it work for you. So let's stop our thoughts rejecting it. Let's stop telling our body um, we don't want to be on it and it's only a short-term thing. Let's just start telling our body that the medication is helping us, that it's a beautiful thing, that it's a healing thing, and watch how that changes. It starts to become very effective. Um, for one of my clients who had really bad iritis and she had to constantly have steroid um, drops into her eye, we changed her thinking about it. She kept being like, I'm putting poison in my body, I'm putting poison in my eyes. Um, so one thing, we reframed it as to healing water. So she just put the healing water, same medication going into her eyes, and all of a sudden her whole body calmed down. She stopped getting inflammation in her eyes. The medication started working, and her whole body calmed down. So if you're on medication and you're having that, I don't want to be on it, accepting that maybe for a little period you have to be on it. So for me, um, I'm grateful for the medication. I don't, I'm off all medication now. Um, but for me, it got me to a place where I was pain free. So I was able to focus more, um, on my thoughts and things like that. And I, cause I, like my, all my fingers were swollen. So I couldn't type, um, as an economist, I work for the state government, you know, I do a lot of typing every day and to not be able to type is pretty hard. So, you know, I was accepting that, you know, in order to do my job and to achieve what I want to achieve, medication may be what I need for now. Um, so that was really helpful. Um, sorry, I can't remember your question. Um, Where was I going with it? Your, um, your practice. Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah. So, um, yeah, just – so, yeah. So the really cool thing is, so humeral embryo, what we call it in Australia, has to be kept in the fridge. Um, so I was so worried. I was going away for like eight weeks, and I was like, how do I have my medication? At this time I was still – because I had this bad experience where I came off um, – the medication once before completely out of my body it was great for two months. And then my whole body went up. Like I literally couldn't walk, couldn't dress myself, anything like that. It was horrendous. So I had this fear. Um, and I was like, I need to be on medication, especially if I'm, you know, in another another country. So you can travel with it. Apparently it can be out of the fridge for up to six weeks. So that's really cool. If you're on it, like go for it. Um, but anyway, so I went to Europe and I was really nervous. Um, and all of a sudden, like, I realized it was gone. And so I started eating ice cream. I was like, oh, my gosh, I can have sugar again, and it's not going to affect me. Oh, my gosh, I can have pasta, and it's not going to affect me. And I started eating all these foods that I'd previously um, taken off my diet because I was trying, you know, all these autoimmune diets. And I'm in this country, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can eat sugar. I can eat pasta. 
then I started drinking and I probably overdid it a little bit with the drinking and partying, but Hey, I was like 23. Why not? Um, it's my right. Right. Um, and I had no pain. Um, and then on my way back, I flew to New York, um, to meet Ralph in person. Wow. Um, and while I was there, he handed me a book and the book was about neuro-linguistic programming. It was about um, neuro-linguistic programming. Okay. What was the name? So, of um, Oh, I could not remember, to be honest. I can send it to you later if you'd like. Um, but I read this book on the plane on the way home, and I was like, oh, my God, Ralph, this is what you've, you've used with me, um, and I need to know more about this. Um, so I got through the book, and then I got back to Perth, and I started looking at places um, where I could learn more. And it took me a little while to be able to do it, but I finally found the right time for me. And I went and um, got certified in neurolinguistic programming, Timeline therapy and hypnotherapy um, through Tad James Co. Um, they're quite big in America as well, probably Canada. Um, they're probably like the leading trainers in your linguistic programming. Um, I came back here and um, I had no full intention of what I was going to do with this. I was already helping people um, through my Instagram still um, and through Facebook. Um, and then Ralph gave me a client, and I can't tell you the feeling I had after my first Skype session with her. It was amazing um and right then and there I knew that this is what I wanted to do and then the practice just kind of went from there and I mean everybody talks about how your first year of business is very difficult um or your first year or two um especially be profitable or to get clients and I've just never had that I think um it's something that I was made to do and I think that's why I went through this experience um and every client I help, I also don't just work in the AS space anymore. I also work a lot with anxiety um, and a lot with eating disorders. Um, and one of the most beautiful things that I'm finding is I'm getting a lot of clients that are 18 and 19 years old that are just absolutely miserable with their lives um, and hate themselves and are so anxious. And to be able to influence people's lives at such a young age and know that and I'm watching them grow and I'm watching them live their dreams, you know, once they um, – get up just after a couple of months of um, working with me and it's the most beautiful thing to know you know that's that's our new generation that's our new generation going into the workforce and these people are feeling empowered and they have that message to pass on to their friends so yeah that's amazing do you have any other questions about the business or um well I just wanted um no more questions I yeah just wanted people to know about you and and know about your practice and and hear about what you have to offer so you definitely covered that thanks yeah awesome. yeah um oh yeah tell me what how does being an economist complement your your practice your coaching practice or is or does or does it Oh, it absolutely does. I'll be honest. Um, for a long time, I didn't think it did. Um, <clears throat> and it put me into like a bit of a chaotic state in my mind about the two. And it kind of made me question, you know, I fell in love with economics hard. Like I love, I love economics. And it was a random thing for me to fall into. But once I started doing it, I knew it's what I wanted to do. It's kind of how I started feeling about coaching. And so then I had this internal conflict of, you know, am I just being fickle and do I actually want to be a coach or do I just maybe not like working or do I maybe, you know, am I going to do coaching for a while and then jump to something else? And there's a lot going on um, in my mind and I didn't think I could do both. And everyone used to say to me, those two jobs are such a contradiction. How can you be both things? 
and really started making me feel like I was um, two people or two personalities. Um, so it was actually when I went and did my um, certifications in the things I just mentioned, we did this really cool technique called parts integration. And what we did was we had my um, economics job on one hand and my coaching job on one hand. And you have to really get into it. So you have to actually visualize like somebody walking out into your hand. You have to hear them. You have to feel them. So you're using all your senses. So I had someone walk out of my hand for my um, economist job. It was actually one of our ex-treasurers. Um, and I had like, this beautiful angel with like gold glitter on my other hand. Now, like you can look at my hands right now. Like this is my economics hand. This is my coaching hands. You can see there's one kind of weighing me down and one kind of, you know, lifting me up. And that's how I did feel about both jobs at the time. And so we started doing this work um, of what's your highest intentions. We started with the lower hand, what's your highest intention of being an economist? And we just kind of pulled it up, pulled it up, pulled it up. And then we swapped over and did it for my coaching hand. And what happened was, because when the coach is doing it, you're doing it really fast, right? Um, my hand started to come down as I'm answering the question. I'm not aware of this consciously. And they start to come together. So then they alert me, you know, are you aware consciously that your hands are about to come together? Um, and what it was is because I realized the highest intention of being an economist, I've always known that competition policy is where I want to be. So I work um, in an agency where I work in um, regulatory reform. So basically my job is to look into different sectors of the economy and look at regulation that's been put there and see if ways we can um, remove it um, where it's unnecessary streamline it, make it better. Um, and a focus is really um, on the consumers and how can we make the end users use the product better. So basically, you know, making businesses' life better or, you know, the general public's life better to access um, the things that the government have to offer or the state has to offer. Being a coach, basically what I want to do is and remove any self-regulation you've put on yourself so you can be the person you want to be so you can access your life better. So I really realized that my life purpose or the thing that I was trying to achieve was the exact same thing. It's just two ways of doing it. I want to make life easier for people. Mm. Um, and so by understanding that, I was able to see the synergies between the two jobs, um, also feel a lot more at peace of doing the, the two jobs. And it kind of made me feel like they were on par as opposed to competing interests. Um, but like specifically, um, Working in economics has given me a great ability to write. I write a lot of um, documents every day. And so I think that helps a lot. Um, we do a lot of, um, the, you know, frameworks and templates. So I have a lot of um, worksheets for my clients and things like that, which has come from things I've learned. Um, also just speaking. Before I um, got into my job with the government, I was um, working as a sessional academic at my university, so um, tutoring Economics 100 to first-year students. So, you know, getting up in front of a room of, like, a bunch of 17-year-olds most of the time um, is quite confronting, especially, you know, being 20 years old and you think that they're all laughing at you or whatnot. Um, and that really taught me how to public speak and to lose that fear of public speaking, which is obviously really handy in coaching when you're meeting new people all the time and having to be confident and having to um, tell them things that sometimes they don't want to hear. Um, so I think all those life experiences have really fed into um, making me a better coach. It also allows me to speak to a different audience. I mean, it's really great um, when you believe in this stuff, but if you believe in it 
and you're always speaking in this world where it's really it makes it sound really hippie and spiritual what you find is you're only capturing the audience of people that already believe that and that's great and that's that's fine if that's what you're doing but if you really want to make that change you've got to speak the language of people that don't necessarily believe it and show them that you can be you know this business person or this or that and also be really conscious of your thoughts and your words and your actions um, so I think it really helps me in that sense to tap into that market and kind of spread it into an area that it hasn't necessarily traditionally gone into. Okay. Wow. Yeah, definitely. I was curious. I was wondering, how, how would they? And I can yeah. totally see it. That's, that's great. It's really amazing yeah. how, how things work out. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I really believe that's a, you know, that's the whole thing about being present in your life. You step back and you look at your life a little bit objectively at times. You know, the things in your past may seem absolutely horrible and unfair and they don't make sense. But when you step back, you realize they're all kind of leading you to this point now. Um, everything I've ever done is being to get here. And just really quickly, um, I didn't want to become an, I used to want to become an obstetrician. Um, and just before I entered year 11, my um, history teacher at the time pulled out. Um, so they said to us, you can do accounting or economics. And I said, I ain't doing accounting. Like, that's not for me. I guess it'll have to be economics. Um, and I started doing economics. And I was like, I love it. Um, and my teacher at the time, he said this really cool phrase. And he was like, the way I explain things to you, Lauren, are slightly different to the way I explain things to this person. Just one or two words that I change, but if I don't um, – if I don't change them, you won't understand. But if I do change those couple of words, you understand what I'm saying. And for some reason, that stayed with me. Um, so when I went and actually did my neurolinguistic programming training, I messaged him on Facebook and I was just, you know, hey, sir, just wondering when you were teaching us economics, um, were you studying NLP at all? Um, and he said, yes, I was. And I was testing it out on you guys to see if it worked. I didn't, I goes, I never knew if it changed education or helped you at all. And I was like, well, I'm just letting you know, you know, I became an economist because of what you helped me with. Um, but that seed you planted really took me on that path of behavioral economics and thinking about the human psychology, which led me onto the path where I'm in now. So really believe what, when you actually look at your life, you know, little seeds are planted your whole way for the things that you're meant to do. Wow. Yeah. Um, would you say that you, I mean, you must have a really great ability to follow those seeds because, I mean, I just see where you are at the age of 25. Um, is that intuition, do you think? I would say to some degree, maybe it's intuition, but um, I would say more it's just being present. Um, when you are in your head um, and you're always thinking about the future or you're always um, berating yourself over the past or, you know, even just, you know, just hating on yourself right now, you don't see things as they are. Um, and so one of the cool things I get my clients to do in one of our first sessions is I get them to take their two fingers out and take them to the side until they can no longer see them while facing the front. And what happens is when you're doing this, because it expands your vision from here to here, you see so much more. So all of a sudden you are seeing everything. You are hearing everything. So many senses are coming in. You can't be anything but present in that moment because it's like a sensory overload. 
what you do is you start noticing things in the room that you didn't notice before. And so I think that's what it's about. You know, everyone has that ability to pick up on these things and notice these things. It's just sometimes we're so caught up in our own story that we're not, we don't, our eyes aren't open. We're not taking in what's going on. Um, and I would say, you know, I'm, I'm a human, like I may be better at it than some people, but I'm certainly no expert at it. And I'm still, you know, learning to become more present. And there are times where, you know, life gets chaotic and I, my blink is going and I don't notice so much. Um, but it's just when those things happen, you know, picking up on those chaotic states faster, knowing when you're going into one, um, and learning how to bring yourself back into the moment and back present, back basically back to the present so you can pick up on those things again. Um, and just the more and more you practice it, the better you get at it. Okay. That's a great answer, by the way. <laughs> I really it's very clear and what I'm and it's exactly what I I've been working on so it's um it's great to hear that from you um it's an amazing thing to do isn't it yeah oh it's it's um the best <laughs> yeah <laughs> the best um tell me list some books quickly your favorite healing books yeah. Um, obviously, The Celestial Prophecy by um, James Redfield. Highly recommend. Highly recommend reading all his books. There's more in that series, so don't stop at the first one. Um, Andy Andrews writes some beautiful books. The Noticer is one of my favorites. Um, actually, while I was reading that. What was it again? Sorry. Uh, sorry, I speak really fast. Um, the Noticer by Andy Andrews. Okay. It's a book that really teaches you about perspective. And it was actually reading that book that made me realize that I was doing honors. I was doing honors. Um, so fourth year, um, at university for all the wrong reasons. And I thought that I couldn't pull out because people would think I was, you know, stupid. My, my identity in high school really was like, I was the smart person. All my friends were like really athletic and I was the smart one. So I was like, Oh, I'm going to lose my identity. If I pull out of honors, people are going to think I'm not smart enough. And this book really made me realize that nobody else cares. All my friends want, all my family wanted for me to be happy. They don't care really what I do. I mean, as long as I'm being a good person, right? Um, and, you know, respecting myself. They don't care about the rest. They just want me to be happy. And I was like, whoa. Like, it sounds so obvious when I say it like that, right? But, like, in your head, you're like, I've got to be this person for everybody else. And all of a sudden, you're like, nobody cares. They want to be around me when I'm, like, happy, not when I'm, like, crying all the time and I've got a, you know, diploma. They don't care about the diploma. They want, they want me to stop crying. Um, so highly recommend that one. Um, the Alchemist by Paulo Coelho is another one. I think it's really good about, you know, what we're talking about before making you realize how important certain things are in your journey and where you're going and accepting them a little bit more. He goes through his story, goes through all these little mishaps. Um, and at the time he's, you know, angry that this has happened, angry that that's happened. But when he gets to his ultimate goal, what he wants to achieve, he realizes how, those lessons actually gave him the skills to achieve what he really wanted in life. Um, so probably those three. And then Louise Hayes, you can heal your life. I love Louise Hayes. I think she's absolutely amazing. Um, and, you know, her book goes into a lot of steps that you can really slowly read. I really advise reading each chapter really slowly um, and doing it at your own pace. Um, and you get this understanding of how to love yourself. A lot of people say that's great, but how? It teaches you how you love yourself, how to you know accept. Um, and it teaches you there's a lot of metaphysics at the back of the book about um, what different illnesses mean. 
Um, then there's Letting Go by um, Dr. David Hawkins, I think it is, or Hawkins, which is a really good book about teaching you how to let go. Um, and the last one would be Finding the Field by Michael Brown. It's a New Zealand book. Um, but again, it, so I think the book Letting Go teaches you how to let go, and it's really good. The book Finding the Field shows you in a more fictional way, so it follows like a fictional story, but it shows you how to implement it in your own life. Um, and I found reading the two together really gave me that insight. And anything so. Wow. So sorry, that was a lot. Probably a little bit longer, but uh, I highly recommend all of them. Beautiful. Thank you. Um, You're welcome. So wrapping things up a little bit, I'm going to ask you. Um, you know, our culture, we don't like to talk about um, passing away. However, um, it's a reality. Um, if you could imagine how your life would be celebrated by your friends and family after you pass, what would it be like? Um, well, I've never really thought about that before. I mean, well, that's a lie. I have, um, but I think it's changed. Um, for a long time, what I really wanted was to just have lots of people at my funeral and them all just say, you know, what a nice person I was and what a caring person I was. Um, and I think that was really detrimental to me. And, you know, then it means I'm chasing people's approval and constantly want, want to give. So I think now looking back and growing up a little bit, what I want people to say is Lauren lived life. She lived life to the fullest. She respected herself. Um, she lived it for her. And along the way, she helped people. And along the way, you know, she made a difference and she changed lives. But really, she lived it for her. Um, and I would never have said that before, but I, yeah, that's what I really want. And I don't care if there's only three people at my funeral. Um, but I want to have touched those three people's hearts. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how I would, um, I think I'd answer the question. I haven't really thought about that much since, but yeah. Interesting. Okay. And, um, if you could go back in time, uh, a different you yourself now, Go back in time and tap yourself on the shoulder when you were diagnosed. What advice would you give yourself? I think I would tell myself just to breathe. That didn't make sense now, but it will make sense one day, and it was okay. Um, and I think I wouldn't change anything because if I changed the journey and tried to um, heal myself faster, I don't think I'd be who I am today and where I am today. But I'd really just tell myself to breathe. Okay. It's going to be okay. Um, and maybe just to, you know, love yourself a little bit more. Look after yourself, you know, take some time out for yourself. Stop giving so much. Um, yeah. Right. Beautiful. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, I think it's just, you know, a message of hope for everybody out there. Um, I was told by numerous doctors that, you know, I would never get better. Um, sorry, my headphone just fell out. Um, that I would never get better um, and that I needed to give up searching um, and just understand that I was going to be bedridden. You know, 20 years old being told you're going to be bedridden for the rest of your life. You're going to be <laughs> what kind of life is that? I was 20 years old and I was told I was going to be bedridden for the rest of my life. Um, what kind of life did that, you know, in my mind, I was like, what is the point of life then? Um, so just anyone out there that's really struggling is to know that um, there is hope. As soon as I went into remission, not my rheumatologist, he was very surprised. But my doctor was like, this is your game plan now that you're in remission, you know. I can see you less. Um, 
you know, after this amount of time, this happens, this happens. And I actually said to him, I said, well, hold on, you have a plan for remission. And he said, yeah, heaps of people go into remission all the time. And I went, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, a couple of years ago, I was in your office crying my eyes out, like literally at breaking point, And you told me there was no hope. And now you're telling me it happens all the time. And it got really awkward. Um, but I just wanted to let him know that, you know, that day when I was broken, he could have given me hope and he didn't. So I really want that message of hope out there for everybody that it may seem hopeless now, um, but there are things that they can do to change. Um, and reaching out to coaches such as you, um, such as Ralph, such as Sky Denton, um, such as myself, you know, we can show you that process. Um, you can jump into, you know, Ralph's mind body. I think it's mind body healing with Ralph fitness or something along those lines group. Um, and you know, it's a free forum. You can talk to a lot of people. It's not a scam. It's not, um, cause a lot of people think it is, you know, I can't get better. Um, just understanding that they can. And if they're willing to believe that there's ways to do it and it's really not as hard as they think it's going to be. Get in the driver's seat of your life. That's what I'm all about. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're so much most welcome. Here. Yes. Um, a real pleasure to, um, to get to know you and have you on the show. Thank you. Likewise. And uh, for everybody out there, thank you so much for listening in. And um, if you'd like to get a hold of her, shapeyourreality.net, correct? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Or through Facebook or through Instagram. Wonderful. All right. Thanks very much, everybody. Bye-bye. The link to Lauren's website is in the description below. Feel free to click on it as well as Ralph Ruiz's website. Hello, everybody. Thanks for listening. Please feel free to subscribe to the show or if you'd like, write a review. Let me know what you think. And uh, if there's any topics that you'd like covered, please let me know. Favorite episodes. All right. Bye-bye. The text and audio files contained in this program are for information use only. It is not meant to treat, cure, diagnose any medical health condition you may or may not have. For medical advice and treatment, please speak to a medical health professional.